to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. Welcome to the Exhaust Notes Podcast. My name is Nick Engvall with my guys Rowett and Todd to talk about some new liveries we've seen getting ready for the Formula One season. Talk about a little uh, shameless plug outside the box. Uh, maybe uh, predictions on this season and, and what we, I don't know if we, I would say we're hopeful for, but we just might take a few risks in this episode at our predictions. How you guys doing? Just sitting through the most pedestrian Super Bowl ever, Todd and I were kind of comparing notes. At least Todd had a raucous soundtrack for his game. And I'll let Todd kind of delve a little bit deeper into that. But yeah, commercials are man. The game was okay. And yeah, and now America's national holiday has left us again. And we're back to the official start of the year. <laughs> yeah, as uh, Rohit mentioned, I stayed at home this time, didn't get together with friends. And that consisted of my wife, my son, my mother-in-law and father-in-law who don't care about football at all. So my it was just me on the couch watching the game with mixing in either my father-in-law snoring or listening to very loud Chinese music. Nice. So exciting. Yeah. So that's, that brings a whole new experience to, to, to the big game then. Right. Like, I mean, Maybe I should try that next year. I, I personally wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't too invested in the game other than like, yeah, you know, I, I obviously wanted to see the halftime show. I've lived in LA for, you know, collected like overall, probably six or seven years. So it was cool to see a lot of things happen down there for, for Los Angeles and Inglewood and Compton and all the places that kind of got a lot of love that don't necessarily normally get it. But it was like, uh, not to not to throw us into a downward spiral already, um, but it, it was a little it was a little disappointing to not have Kobe and Nipsey Hussle involved in it with that much L.A. in our face. Um, That's a great call. I saw the Nipsey Hussle kind of tributes on Twitter, but yeah, there should have been some sort of Kobe memorial. Damn it. Yeah. It, you know, it's just one of those things, though, like you never know how long to to, you know, to mourn and memorialize people. But I can't think of really anything L.A. without thinking about those two guys and this being kind of like, you know, the biggest thing that's happened to L.A. in quite some time. No offense to the Lakers, but, you know, the Super Bowl being there and the the, the Rams being in it is you know, something that city's wanted for a really long time. Notice the Giants fan forgets to mention the LA World Series. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually made that joke to my wife that this this whole Super Bowl felt like just to LA in a sense, like the Rocks yeah. doing kind of cutting a promo on the field pregame, like was a bit was a bit much. Totally. And then the half sh- halftime show that you mentioned was uh, it just made me feel old because everyone on stage, that was our era and they all look just kind of old. Yeah. yeah. I wonder how many conversations across the nation turned to, Hey, what happened to 50 cent? <laughs> because yeah. full dollar now, yeah. I'd say dollar 50 in certain counties based on the tax rates. But my goodness, uh, whoever thought like, yeah, let's hang him upside down and reenact the into club video. 
you trolled America and I bid you good, good morrow, sir, because that was fantastic. But yeah, at the same time, when Todd and I were chatting pregame, we figured the best soundtrack outside of his father-in-law's dulcet Chinese sounds would have been elevator music because this is a pretty pedestrian game. Yeah, it, it was also funny to, to you know, I, I wasn't really watching the game. I was checking in regularly and just doing other stuff. And, you know, I'd sit down for a little bit here and there, but I wasn't like glued to the TV. Like, you know, honestly, like football has been kind of like not my thing since the, all the Kaepernick stuff happened anyway. So it's just like, but Twitter is like my go-to for any sporting event at this, any life event, any event at all at this point, right? The commentary is what I you know, it just, it makes everything more enjoyable. And, uh, I forget who tweeted it, but the, one of the best was, uh, it looks like 50 cent is 50 cent is dealing with the same types of inflation that the rest of America is dealing with right now. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other, the other one that kind of got to me was the, I think it's a bleacher report account tweeted something along the lines of like, LOL, they hung 50 upside down and for the Super Bowl show or something like clearly they didn't get the reference. So to Todd's point, not only did the performers make me feel old, but also getting on social media and seeing like, you know, probably some, you know, young 20 something working at one of these places getting, you know, thinking they're getting that fire tweet off. And I'm realizing like, man, people don't even remember that. That was only like, 20 years ago or something, right? I mean, I feel like the move now is every social media department needs to have two 20-year-olds, two 30-year-olds, and two 40-year-olds, and they need to have the uh, situational awareness to know when to let what pair do the tweeting. Because, yeah, I think whichever 20-something thought he was being holy or she was being holy original by saying, hey, why did they hang 50 Cent upside down? Come on, man. It was only 20, 17 years ago. Yeah, I saw an, I saw another headline that was like a, a you know like a news article that was basically like who is Mary J Blige and why is she performing at the Super Bowl? And I'm thinking like how on earth do you not know who Mary J Blige is? I'm personally not like a huge Mary J fan, but like, you know, I still respect and love a few songs here and there. But like not only that, she's on Power, isn't she? Or she's on, you know, like one of these shows right now, right? I'm pretty sure it's power that she's on, but like, like, how do you not know that person? I just, I mean, I could understand like the, you know, most Super Bowl halftime shows definitely tend to lean a little old. Right. But this was like, not, you know, like that doesn't seem so far out to me. We're old. Maybe it's just because we're old. We're old. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, while we're on the subject of Twitter, I think we should talk about just very briefly um, <laughs> coming hot off the presses out of the rich energy HQ that Nick so graciously t- texted us earlier that uh, good old William Story posted rich energy hashtag F1 hashtag chapter two with a rich energy livery on like a spy shot of the some version of the uh 2022 cars what do you guys think about that i mean so i i I looked at this long and hard before i actually sent it to you guys because i was like what can i see on this that can nullify its existence right the only thing i could think of is 
I mean, obviously my first thought is like, yeah, they're just trying to, you know, market this stuff. Right. But then like, I don't think the F1 logo that's on the wing is even like a real F1 logo. So like, it's, it's obvious that it's not connected to formula one in any way, but I'm sure, I'm sure like, as it all rolls out, there'll be something that they're selling, like, you know, fire festival for, for formula one fans or something, you know? I mean, I'm shocked that something that Rich Energy has put out is less than authentic. And I am clutching my pearls because, you know, when I think of bastions of accuracy and factually correct information, I go to Rich Energy Drink because it is my go-to energy drink when I do all kinds of ample researching, when I'm looking at why I should or should not get vaccinated. So I feel the less I say about this subject, the better it is, but I'm truly shocked. Todd? I think it was the best thing I've seen all day, including the Super Bowl, was this tweet. <laughs> and reading that comment thread, there's one guy, and I had to shout him out because it was it had zero likes or responses. And the guy said, you missed a hashtag? And it said hashtag chapter 11, which was just <laughs> the perfect response to that tweet. Yeah, yeah that's great. Oh, man. All right, so how do we want to start off this episode? We're going to talk about liveries we probably won't mention rich energy again until you know some other ridiculous social media event happens but we've seen four cars so far or i should say four liveries right because there seems to be a lot in the works with most of the cars still at this point and everybody keeps saying this is not the completed car there's still things that are going to happen that'll change blah 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 but last week we talked about the Haas car a little bit think the best thing and the worst thing about formula one is once you sit on it a little bit, you have a change of heart sometimes. Todd, do you want to talk about that anymore? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have to, after seeing the four cars and I was the one that kind of said we should bring this back up after seeing the four cars and I might get slaughtered by any actual F1 fans that listen to this, uh, show but i i like the haas better than i did originally um there's still some design cues that i'm not super fond of like they're the space and shout out to julie and sneaker history sneaker history discord she pointed out exactly what i was thinking with the gaps under the red and blue stripes on the side pod i think that's a perfect call but i think after having some time to marinate on it it is better um than i initially had said uh it doesn't mean i wish any well to Mazepin, but I think the livery is better. And I do want to call out since I started talking about the liveries first, I went on a whole diatribe about um, like I've been talking like I'm this technical guru on, on this podcast so far, like I'm the smart one. And I went on a tangent about how I liked the design cues on the Red Bull car. And it just shows how dumb I really am because their car out of the four we've seen so far is by far the fakest. Like, let's just put our livery on the F1 demo car so far. And so I just wanted to die on my own sword a little bit for that one because I obviously know nothing. And that car is completely fake. Your guys thoughts on Haas? It's also kind of grown on me, like you were saying. I think it's a nice combination of the two eras of Haas that we've kind of talked about ad nauseum the last couple of episodes. 
the black stripe really makes it look a lot less Russian and uh, a lot more its own thing because as we know, this is the official unofficial car of Mother Russia. I will say that out of the rest of the liveries, and maybe I'm stealing some of your thunder, Todd and uh, Nick, but the McLaren livery I really like, and I was kind of hoping that that was going to give us a little bit of insight, or rather we were going to get a little bit of insight coming out of the Lego set that was recently revealed, but yeah, the Red Bull one, except for that yellow nose, it just feels very as it's always been, which is Ironic considering Red Bull prides itself on this quote-unquote 90s version of what extreme is, but there's nothing really extreme about navy red, uh, navy blue and red. But yeah, you know, keep trying Red Bull, and I hope that one day you decide to make that full switch over to the white livery that we all kind of speak about in hushed tones because we love it so much. Yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of agree with both you guys. I the the Haas looks better to me now than at first than it did at first um i'm kind of just a sucker for orange and blue like those are two my two favorite colors so you can almost do no wrong with those two colors you know on a mclaren car or on on honestly on any car right like i just am a sucker for those two colors together um it's it's tough to the more i look at the mclaren car the more I wish there was less black on that car. Um, but that's, you know, like for some reason, like the Haas car, I feel exact opposite. I feel like the black actually looks better now than it did when I first looked at it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think a little bit. Uh, as I'm kind of going through that McLaren, the papaya is always going to be the star of the show when it comes to the livery of it, but I thought the black almost kind of blended really nicely considering how it's located to the wheels. And it's funny, as I hear you kind of talk about this, Nick, I get a lot of our flashbacks from our other uh, podcast, Sneaker History, shameless plug right there. But yeah, this livery is going to be very interesting because of the fact that it almost touches also on what I consider to be the most popular piece of merchandise I saw from last season, which was the golf mclaren what do we want to even call it collection variant where that was a lot more lightish blue than it was anything else but this is a nice blend and i'm just interested to see what next year's livery will look like because i kind of see papaya dwindling and dwindling and more of an identity coming out that leans a little bit more on the history of what mclaren is trying to tap into that's a good call uh so you guys kind of covered all three liveries in there um I would actually say, going to Rohit's point, I like what Red Bull did. I know that the car is completely fake, but I like what they did with the the delivery. Um, I think the nose last year had too much yellow going kind of all the way up it. And this just kind of on the tip, it goes all the way to the bottom. Uh, looks a little bit better. And with the new Oracle sponsorship, they moved the Red Bull off of the the uh barge board and they are not barge board side pod and they put it kind of up on top with oracle on the side um it is sad we've talked about this several times but it's sad that honda's no longer on the car uh i, I did miss that on the rear wing but scooting over to the mclaren car i do like it being a diehard nerd from mclaren or just danny rick in general um i do like the car and this is probably an unpo unpopular opinion I like last year's livery better. Like if you took last year's livery and put that lighter shade of blue from the Gulf in 
instead of that kind of royal or navy bluish color that they had with the rainbow stripes down the side pods. Um, I like that one better, but they did have like an alternate. I don't know if you guys watched the full launch, but they did have like an alternate livery on a different F1 car there that they flashed to a couple times. And then when they also showed it in like um, kind of glow in the dark, mm-hmm. at, at one point, the top of the duct above the behind the driver's head um, had like kind of black cut ins on it. I, it's hard to describe without seeing it, but there was an alternate livery that they had and showed off on stage at one point, and it looked pretty cool. Uh, but it's not bad by any means. That shade of blue is fantastic, and I hope that we see, as the aforementioned golf livery, uh, I hope we see that again at least once this year because that's the best livery that's ever happened, ever. <laughs> yeah, I- I hope that I mean you know I'm I'm a a big sports car fan right and for you know whether it's 24 hour Le Mans or you know some other races the teams will do art cars at least you know a handful of teams have done art cars throughout the years and I you know last year obviously Red Bull did the you know the Japanese tribute car that didn't run it in Japan but um that that car was beautiful. I think, you know, to the to the point of the McLaren stuff and the Gulf livery, the more traditional Gulf livery, I guess. Um, you know, those are those are to me are just great ways to kind of get people more excited about what's happening and and pay more attention, right? Because you can tell a lot of stories through that. So I hope that there's more of that um this season. And maybe even like, you know, maybe even push the push the limits of of what you know, Formula One is used to in terms of art cars, right? You know, like there's a there's a long history of that um, in street cars too, right? With BMW and um, Acura has done some here in the states. But I, the more I looked at the McLaren, there's two things that like bother me about the car, just from a from an aesthetic perspective. The Dewalt logo being in yellow, although in the car that they showed that matches the stripes on the tires. It just bothers me like, you know, I don't think any brand should have their their colors kind of mixed in. Um, And I also like when you look at the nose view. The Velo logo is all over the place, and I don't think it needs to be on the front because like you don't need a logo that goes left to right like that. You know, like it's an arrow pointing to the side, right? It just doesn't. It doesn't look right to me. You know, like all the other logos are kind of static logos and like they line up. It's like Dell and CNBC. I can't remember the other ones that are on there, but yeah, like, you know, just like they're they're static logos, right? Like they're not meant to look like they're moving. But then you have this like Velo kind of arrow looking thing going. It, it just seems to throw it off to me visually looking from the front, because one thing that I love about Formula One cars is they are so crazy symmetrical. And they always just look beautiful because of that, right? Like even the worst cars are like incredible when you take everything away and just like, you're like, wow, this is nuts. Like to see all the things that go on with the design of these cars. And I think just that little, little thing to me after I looked at it long enough, I was like, it just doesn't make any sense, right? Like I understand that you've got Velo on there and they're a big sponsor and you know, they're on the wings they're on the, the winglets of the front wing. They're on the, you know, 
the body, like the chassis, like they're everywhere on the car. But that's also my point is like that one little logo is not, it's not connected to the Velo namesake and the, and the, you know, word mark. And that just doesn't make any sense to me. Like you could have a, you could have maybe a, you know, a, either another sponsor or something that fits symmetrically a little bit better there in my opinion, but I'm totally nitpicking this. They wrote the biggest check. That's <laughs> yeah, exactly. literally what it comes down what to. Is. It's <laughs> two points to what you said, Nick. Um, the Velo thing also weirds me out because this is kind of a hubbub several years back. But if you look back in Formula One's history, they've had uh, to big tobacco branding all over cars. Like one of the most famous liveries of all time is the Marlboro logo on the uh, McLaren that Senna drove and Prost drove and a bunch of bunch of um, liveries all over. Right. Um, Velo is a like nicotine replacement thing. So it is, and I'm pretty sure it's owned by Big Tobacco. And like a couple of years ago, Ferrari had Mission Winnow, which is supposedly like a, uh, like, oh yeah, it's anti-smoking type of thing. But they got in trouble because there was some weird, like, is it really anti-smoking? Turns out it's owned by like Philip Morris. Um, so they were a sponsor that got removed it like weirdly just disappeared on one race. So yeah. it's weird to see it on the cars now because it's not supposed to be there. But, um, I agree that it's too many Velo logos. The thing that bothers me about the McLaren livery is the lower section of floor and the back area of the, uh, barge boards or not barge boards. I keep calling it that side pods. There's too much black there. It kind of looks, there's too much black and not enough, graphic or something it yeah. looks unfinished to me yeah and and velo is owned by what is it reynolds america which is you know british american tobacco group like you know we're, we're gonna have to go into an episode where we can dig into all those because one of the most fascinating things if you're new to formula one is there are we 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 joked about rich energy and we gave a little bit of backstory in that in a previous episode but essentially like Rich Energy is like, uh, you know, has yet to be proven as a business in a sense. It was just somebody that came in with a bunch of money to put a logo on a car. But the kind of flip side of somebody just coming in to put a logo, to put money into a car and put their logo on it is tobacco companies. And, you know, sometimes even like alcohol companies, right? Because that, that's been something that's been, I, I Correct me if I'm wrong, Todd, that's been something that's kind of changed in the last few years, right? Because I think like Johnny Walker was a sponsor for a long time for a lot of companies, but then I don't remember seeing them recently. No, they haven't been in kind of a while. Like they were up until a few years ago. I think you're right about that. But I don't think there's any like specific rules about them not being sponsors now. I think it's just tobacco that was like, hey, don't do that anymore. Yeah. So tobacco companies essentially have sponsored cars so much so that, you know, one of my favorite team teams back in the day was British American racing. You know, the bar F1 team was like, you know, essentially took their namesake from a tobacco organization or tobacco conglomerate, let's say. Um, But throughout the years, there's been literally dozens of companies that are not even really companies that have been sponsors on cars on like a longer term basis, but sometimes just from race to race because certain countries are even more strict about those sponsorships. So, you know, you might, 
you might see a car with a, a different branding on it for one race and wonder what the hell's going on with it. And that's probably the case. There's probably something there that doesn't align with the the country that they're racing in. And the, the team has, you know, modified those graphics in some way to, to, you know, kind of appease the country hosting the race. That's actually exactly how the mission window logo disappeared a couple of years ago. It was some, I, whatever country they were in Bahrain or, something like that and they had to take it off and it just disappeared yeah um so we should talk a little bit about the aston martin car too since we haven't really touched on that one out of the four i was gonna say i think that aged baja blast quality does deserve its own at least two minute comment section because as cheesy as it is i kind of like it and maybe it's because as i learn more and more about the sport i realize sebastian vettel is tim duncan 2.0 and i was always a big tim duncan fan so that in principle means i am a sebastian vettel fan so i don't know i like that green and i usually don't like the green color as a whole but something about that baja blast quality resonates with me and i would go as far to say i'll probably root for them as my second place team this year because of how much i like seb What yeah, think, I I also love Sebastian Vettel. I think all of his like quirkiness and like humanitarian stuff that he does and like wearing like rainbow colored clown shoes to like show like show off his fight for equality and stuff to like races just shows off the character he is. So he's like my second favorite driver that I just want to do well and get back to like fighting at the top. That being said, and I want to preface this that I love British racing green. Like a Jaguar E-Type in British Racing Greens, like one of the most beautiful cars ever made. I love it on race cars, normal cars, doesn't matter. I wanted to like this logo. And going back to what one of you said earlier about, <clears throat> oh, the DeWalt logo, the sponsors having an impact on um, livery color because of their colors uh, harkens back to last year when PWT was still their sponsor. Um, or was the, uh, it was B, sorry, BWT was uh, a sponsor of the Aston car last year. And that's why they had the pink stripes, the weird, like dark pink fuchsia stripes. And I was excited because I had heard a bunch of murmurs about the lime green that, uh, Aston is now kind of famous for on some of their exotic models, um, or more exotic models, I was very excited. I was like, ooh, that lime green is going to pop on track. And again, I haven't seen it on track, really. We saw it during the shakedown a little bit. Um, but I don't like this car at all. This is like, even with Red Bull being a fake car, I like that car better than this livery. It is not attractive. I like it. I like the hot takes. So, uh, I don't know. It just... Maybe I got caught up because I think last year, or maybe it had been the previous year in Drive to Survive, as Aston Martin was kind of going through their Lance Stroll and Papa Stroll-led rebranding, and you walk through the Aston Martin facility and you see Papa Stroll say, yes, this is the color of power. This is the color of victory. There's no other color like it. I bought it hook, line, and sinker. But yeah, Todd, keep being the opposing viewpoint because I do need this because as much as I like Sebastian Vettel, I can't seem to find any reason to like the strolls. They really do come across as Bond villains, as we called out in the previous episode. So, yeah, boo to you, Papa Stroll. <laughs> so, I, I, uh, I like, I, I like the car. I like the livery. I like the color. Um, 
but yellow is a weird yes. accent color in my opinion um it looked better when it was kind of that pinkish from the bwt sponsorship last year because the body color or the the primary color of the livery is is very similar right um might not be exactly because it does look a little bit different maybe just maybe just seeing more of it on the car with this car but I also think that it's really weird that the, you know, kind of going back to my nitpicking on the McLaren car, I think it's really weird that you have this, uh, you have this, you know, this livery that is clearly like, you know, particular shade of green, yellow accents, and, you know, a little bit of black here and there, right? But then you have like this kind of like off color on the JCB on the wing You've got a multicolor Aramco branding on the on the back of the wing. You've got another, you know, multicolor logo on the nose. I, I just think that I think that, you know, and maybe this is this is gonna show my uh I'm trying to get over my disdain for NASCAR and people that love driving in circles, but this reminds me of NASCAR type of stuff, right? There's something very and this might be just the most uppity take that I ever have on a public podcast in the history of my life. But like putting all these different things in here takes away from like the beauty of what these cars are, in my opinion, you know. And once you start doing that, like who's to say that, you know, especially as this gets more popular in the United States, who's to say that you're not going to have a, a Home Depot logo on one, an M&M's logo on, on you know, like you could just line up multitudes of colors and it takes away from the actual colorway, you know, the actual livery of the car. Yeah, it's no, I was, I, I, I like what Nick was saying there. Like the, the off color logos, I think they're going to exist no matter what. Um, like certain brands that like the aforementioned PWT is very serious about their pink. If you remember back to, the um racing point or uh uh god what were the force india car that they were previously like they were like nope we're the main sponsor the car's gonna be pink which i think actually that livery really really worked it was yeah, really good totally um but i i think there's no way to get around that as we all know like like racing is insanely expensive they have a budget cap now of 145 million dollars somebody's gonna have to pay that um, so if they have like a random M&M's logo here and there, like I'm not really against it. If it gets to the point of like, would shout up again to Talladega Nights, like we have that giant Fig Newton's logo all over the driver's helmet. That's when I'm going to be like, all right, this is getting out of hand. I do love Fig Newtons. Like, they are tasty. But <laughs> the last thing I'll say about the Aston Martin car, because I don't want to say that I completely like hate, hate it. Uh, they could have done a lot better. But the shape of the car with like the louvers on the the side pods again looks absolutely super aggressive. And I love that. I just hope that in daylight or in racing action that maybe the 
British Racing Green pops a little bit more. No, and I was going to say this finally before we move on to the Skip Bayless portion of the podcast. As you guys were chatting and we were kind of commiserating about Livery's past and then BWT Pink, I would have loved to have seen almost like the inverse Montecurial of Aston Martin taking that pink as that accent color. And then that led me to thinking, because we had touched on this in the previous episode, so many of these car companies have a varied history and if there's any sport that's begging for a what the type of livery and maybe i'm giving away a billion dollar idea but we need to have a what the renault we need to have a what the red bull we need to have a what the mercedes so you can take portions of every team's history as it's evolved over the formula one 75 seasons and just see a hodgepodge of colors because it truly is a different car company but it still maintains a certain ethos no matter how far they are removed from the previous history yeah that's actually just wait until you just wait until you see the alpine livery this year it's going to be a what the i guarantee it because bwt is now their title sponsor so it's going to be alpine french red white and blue with pink something god knows what yeah i mean that's i was going to mention that because like bwt like I appreciate the pink racing point force India car. That car was awesome. It looks, it stood out. Right. And that's my, the nuance that I'm like, you know, dying on this hill for right now is just when, when you take something like, like looking at the Aston Martin, if you look at the rear wing and the side, the side sponsor, right. Whatever that is, JB, JCB, JCB, that, logo is based on the company's colors and that color is slightly off from the yellow literally like inches above it that is the team color which is just like like it like the color doesn't actually do anything right here right you could totally use just an all-white logo like you do with you know Aramco on the on the side, you know, on the intake, uh, you know, Cognizant on the side, Peroni. Like, there's so many places where you don't put the color, but there's just certain things where I'm like, well, that doesn't. And if if you know if you're gonna stick with a JCB sponsor and they're gonna put in more money, I I totally understand that. But why not just make the rest of the yellow that's on the car the same as that? Because then at least you have the consistency across the whole car, right? Because like Aston Martin doesn't use yellow in their logos, do they? Yeah, it's just it's just green and white. Still on mute. Sorry. The the they do have like a neon yellow, neon green is what I called it earlier. That they're kind of popularized. That they have popularized over the last, I want to say two, three, four years. Where like you can get like a DBX or a Vantage or whatever in that color neon. Um, got it but i do see what you're saying that it's like a kind of a mustard like school bus yellow and then right above it is like the the neon pop yeah which it looks weird but like i was saying it's so small that it's i don't know i guess it's kind of acceptable to me because like the mclaren has that yellow dewalt logo or other cars you're guaranteed to have like Ferrari's car last year had that really, really ugly green mission window thing down the side of their car. Yeah. That was just like, yep. what did you sneeze when you designed the back half of that car? <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's get into this as 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 Ro calls it. The Skip Bayless portion 
of the show. I'll, I'll let you talk about it, right? So as we were kind of chatting about what we wanted to do, there was this concept about making two series of predictions. One is entirely off of your gut, where we're not relying on any of the testing that's going to come out in the next couple of weeks. It's just how are we feeling about this formula season coming in with no real expectations or no real insight of what exactly is going to transpire. So much like our favorite pontificator Skip Bayless or Shannon Sharp or Stephen A. Smith, we're just going to shoot from the hip. Some of these predictions are going to be absurd in the moment, and then they're going to be 10 times as absurd when we look back at them in about a year's time. So with that being said, as is the driving mantra of the Exhaust Nose podcast, where we only create content that begets more content, we thought each one of us should have at least three bold proclamations that we think will happen this season. And we haven't really told each other any of our proclamations. It's just one of those things that we'll say it out in the ether, and we'll just get our co-hosts actual real life takes on our takes and then we can discuss this like i said in about a year so todd anything else on top of that no that's great like you explained we're doing one pre-testing and one post-testing once we can actually start to see a little bit of the pecking order after testing how the times are what the race reports look like um but yeah this is totally shooting from the hip and just giving us something to laugh at here Alrighty, who wants to go first? I think it should be Nick because Todd just spoke and I just spoke. So Nick, what's your first prediction? <laughs> All right. Uh, this is this might be more of a wishful prediction than anything, but I think we're going to see multiple podiums from Lando this year. Hmm. Give me a number. If- I, I think like collect like season as a whole. He obviously you know finished above Danny Rick last season, but didn't have a podium. Had that one race that, you know, just made that one wrong decision towards the end of the race, couldn't make it in on on the tires. And I think now that he's got a big contract behind him and he's going to be staying put for, you know, what, four or five more years with McLaren. He's going to he's going to feel confident enough to to take it like to take a little bit more risk and put a little bit more out there. Yeah, Give us I'm a number. Say five yeah. and a half over under five and a half podiums. Ooh, because I think that's a bit aggressive, even for the most. So I, I think he's over five and okay. a half podiums. Yeah, and I think he gets. I think he gets at least two wins. Oh, now there's a. There's a See, shot. This is why we, as the kids say, fuck with Nick Engel. Because he's always going to give you quality <laughs> content. But he's got that Sam's Club mindset of he's going to give you these takes in bulk. So just to make sure we have this right, <laughs> Lando Norris is going to have at a minimum six podiums. And a third of them are going to be first place finishes. Nick, did I butcher any of that? Nope. I'm, I'm sticking Excellent. to it. Let's lock that down. So That is... A bold prediction. I was saving my wild one for the last, the last one, but holy <laughs> hell! Um, yeah, so we he had four four podiums last year, three three third places, and uh, and a second when they did the one two in Monza. But that is, I mean, you're not. I he only needed Sochi, and he could have gotten his first win and been right at that five. I mean, really, uh, all I'm actually now that you said that, right, he has four podiums. So all I'm saying is he's going to have the same year as last year and two wins. Okay, I like it. (laughs) That means Papaya is fighting for a constructors championship. But yeah, 
Rohit, what's your first uh, bold so prediction? I'll use Lando as a catalyst to make my prediction, and I will say we will have eight separate winners of races this year. And if you are going to press me on who those eight are, let me just count them out. And I will start off with the dual-headed monster of both Mercedes and Red Bull. So we'll see Lewis Hamilton, George Russell, Max Verstappen, Sergio Perez. And then for the back half, for the other four, I'll say both of the Ferrari boys, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, Lando Norris, and one Pierre Gasly. Oh, hurts. That hurts. Where's my boy Danny Rick? He took away uh, one from Lando. I was going to say Lando was going to be a good teammate, but no, Nick decided he has to win two of them. So I will say eight. And I was unsure how many we had last year, but I want to say five or six. Different race winners? Hamilton, Verstappen, Perez. I think Botas won one. Ocon won one. And is there anybody else I may have missed? Did Gasly get one? And Danny Rick. I'm sorry, six. Yeah, I think you're right on six. I don't have the stats up, but I, I'm pretty sure. I think that's uh, a great prediction because if this new regulation set has comes true, if that this is what they're betting on and it comes true that the racing is closer – More close racing means more chaos, means more wrecks, means more unpredictability. And that's, I would even say we could have 10 different race winners. That's not a prediction. I'm just saying like I could see it being, if we have the the craziness that we had last year um, with like, you know, Valtteri just bowling bowling ball through like four front runners (laughs) and then we come out with, uh, you know, Ocon winning. If we have more of close racing, we have more of that, you know, going three wide into a corner, things like that. I think that's a great call. So speaking of great calls, Todd, what's your first bold proclamation for the upcoming 22-23 season? Well, this, like I said in our pregame, to give an example of the predictions, uh, my first prediction is that Ferrari's going to win the Constructors' Champion this year. Um, I feel like it's a little bit based in science, not really science, witchcraft, whatever you want to call Formula One engineering. So out of the entire lineup of teams, I think Ferrari's drivers, uh, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, had the most consistency last year. They were always within a couple of tenths of each other for the most part in qualifying. And they were always like a position or two each other from each other in the race. They had some stumbles for sure, but I think they were the most consistent pairing across the grid last year. And then they also did a late season upgrade to their MG UK. Um, that's the electric system. That's like formula one cars are kind of partial hybrids now. Um, so they changed from a 400 watt system or volt system to a 800 volt system, which lets them deploy differently over lap and um, they're promising big, big things out of their engine department after being reined in in 2019 um, that they're, they're coming hard this year. So I think they're going to have probably the third quickest car, maybe second quickest car on occasions. And with the consistency between their driver pairing, uh, I think that they have the possibility if they're always pecking around, you know, just right off, right off the podiums and they're always getting fourth and fifth or, you know, sneaking on the podium now and again, maybe getting a shock win here and there. 
I think they could definitely take the constructors so this year. So you jerk. One of my predictions was going to be that Ferrari would take second because I just think they have that consistency and it's flying under the radar. And my big call out was they were going to overtake Red Bull because I think Red Bull is about to have the championship year from hell where it's going to be a lot of a hangover. I think we're going to see a motivated Lewis take what was rightfully his and then some against his one-man duel with Max Verstappen. However, I can't be that bold. So I really like the cut of your jib when you say Ferrari is going to win the constructors. One thing I will say, just kind of doing a little bit of math, the difference between Red Bull and Ferrari last year was 262 points, and the difference between Ferrari and McLaren was only 48.5 points. I think we are going to see Ferrari break the under 200 point mark in terms of their difference from Red Bull at a bare minimum because I still think they're going to get second. And I just think they are going to leave the gap behind. And I think we are now going to enter in that new era where we will have a big three and not a big two like we have seen in the past decade or so. Nick, what are your thoughts about Ferrari going into the season? Because the prancing horse is definitely doing a lot more prancing than stalling recently. Yeah, totally. I mean, my hope, and I think, you know, this, you know, kind of goes to Todd's point of like, if the FIA governing body of F1, if all these changes work the way they are supposed to work, my hope is that we actually have more of like a four, uh, a four team battle for the top, right? Like McLaren, Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes all being super, super competitive. To Todd's point, like if it gets more competitive, that's also going to be that's also going to mean more wrecks and more chaos, but that also like kind of takes away some of those guaranteed victories when two teams are really dominant. So I don't know where Ferrari will land, but I think they're going to be up there at the top with, you know, Mercedes, Red Bull and McLaren. I think my, you know, my next prediction kind of alluding to, or, you know, kind of thinking about all the, let's say chaos that might come in this, in this next year and I'll 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 go back to the Costco two pack here. I think that both Yuki and Schumacher will score points this year. Hmm. That's interesting because one of my predictions is I think three teams will score no points this year. And those three teams are going to be Alfa Romeo, Williams, and Haas. I would love to see Schumacher score points because I think that would be as fitting of an homage to his dad as he could possibly do. But man, Yuki and Mick. So why not Marzipan? Because I know that's a question Todd has in his mind right now. <laughs> I don't know if you just called him Marzipan on accident or trolling, but that was But no, didn't you see the Secret Santa from this year? So one of the greatest videos, and we'll kind of speed things along because we are almost reaching time, but... Formula One does the Secret Santa video every year where every driver gets a Secret Santa on the grid and they have to guess who gives them that gift based on the gift alone. And because Mazepin got Marzipin, that's been stuck in my mind. So once again, yet another reason why Esteban Ocon is one of my favorite drivers is because he clearly enjoys a good game of wordsmanship because he was the one that gifted Mazepin Marzipin. So anyway, I digress. Let's go back on time. Uh, Nick, talk to me about Mick Schumacher. Why do you think he makes the leap this year? I mean, I think it's, it's the, it's the chaos, you know, like the one thing about like when teams are, when they're super competitive teams, like we've, we've honestly had the middle of the field has been super competitive for the past few years, right? They haven't been dominant, but like, there's just been like a lot of like close racing in the midfield that nobody really 
you know, we're focused on Max and Lewis, right? Like we've been focused on Max and Lewis for the past, you know, three seasons straight to just watch these two, you know, obviously two probably some of the two of the greatest drivers that will ever drive an F1 car. But I think that Mick has like a little bit of experience now. It's not, he's not so like, you know, overwhelmed probably same with Yuki. Yuki has, has had like those glimpses of greatness where you're like, okay, cool. He's, he's, you know, like he's showing what he could become. Right. And I think they both have had kind of situations where, you know, I mean, Yuki specifically, right. Was just like, just overly aggressive with, with everything when he first came in. And once you kind of figure out the, the balance there, I think that, you know, navigating, let's say a, a, a wet race where there's a lot of competitiveness near the top, you know, you, you end up with a, well, like you end up with an Esteban Ocon situation where he gets a, a podium or a win last season. Right. Where like that car was not, you know, it was not like the best car on the track that day, but he was able to navigate just enough of all of that chaos that ensues. You know, the car is still great. He's a great driver, but like, it's just like a lot of luck really. And a, and a lot of just like knowing where to like kind of stick your nose and wearing, knowing where not to, in a sense. Thanks Fernando. <laughs> yeah. Thanks Fernando. Yes. I'm going um, <laughs> to kind of double down on, on Nick. I think, both uh, Yuki and Schumacher are going to take a step forward this year. Um, I I think the uh, they both had like Yuki showed a lot of promise. I, I, you guys probably didn't watch much F two, but I got into it in the last like four or five years, and I saw some of these drivers come up through that are in F one now come up through F two and like weirdly I saw one of my favorite racing moments from the last few years is Yuki versus Mazepin or Mazespin as we should call him. Um, uh, and like Mazepin was just being the dirty Russian hooker that he is and <laughs> almost ran Yuki into a wall. And Yuki had the finesse to drive basically through a bollard, uh, which is one of the little foam barriers on track for people that don't know. Uh, they'd like mark the out of bounds territory or tell you where to drive around. Um, he drove through a foam bollard um, through some grass and still held his own against Mazepin into the corner and then ended up taking over uh, the lead there. So I, I think he really has um, has the minerals, as the British say, um, to be up there. And I think you just can't come from a lineage like Michael Schumacher and not be good at racing cars. So I think Mick is going to, I mean, he might have a, a few shock, um, you know, in the points there. I don't think that the Haas is going to be anywhere close to the field. In fact, going to, I don't know if you were actually saying your second proclamation there, Rohit, but um, I think in converse to yours, I would say that all teams are going to score some points this year because of the chaos. So I think they'll have even the lovely uh, Haas team is going to get some points okay. this year. Is that your second bold proclamation then, Todd? No, no. I've, I'll launch into my second bold one now. And Botas is going to get another instance of saying to whom it may concern 
FU. And I'm going to say that Botas puts his car starting, I'm saying starting in the podium positions, basically the top three twice this year. There's going to be some kind of wet qualifying or some crazy qualifying action. And he's proved himself in his time at Mercedes in the last four or five years that he has been able to match Lewis's pace in qualifying, who's probably still, to me, at least the best qualifier on the grid. Um, And on his day, he can beat Lewis. And I'm going to say that he's going to take that Alfa Romeo wherever it happens to be in the midfield. And he's going to give us a couple of shot qualifiers where he's starting in the top three. How many qualifiers? Let's just get the tangible. I would say two. Todd, are we, are we, uh, are we going to see sprint qualifying again this year? I I don't know because they haven't like confirmed it. The talk, the early talk was that they were going to expand yeah. Um, on last year's and do maybe six races this year with sprint qualifying. They only did three last year, but apparently um, probably largely due to the crash at Silverstone last year where they had the sprint and then they had the race where we all know what happened with Max hitting a wall at like 170. Um, that crash alone cost them, I think, was like two and a half million dollars. So Red Bull is rallying against big time against sprint qualifying unless they open up the budget cap to allow for sprint qualifying races because it's essentially two races in one weekend, which I don't know the math on how that adds to their budget, but. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So like for anybody that hasn't watched formula one last year, they introduced something that they'd never done before, which is essentially like, instead of having your traditional qualifying, which you traditional qualifying works in a sense that you have three sessions, everybody goes out, 10 people are cut. The last 20 go out. Another 10 people are cut. Last 10 is your starting grid, right? Then sprints essentially are like a, what, a 20 lap race, 21 lap race or something like that. 20. So you have a a third. It's a third of the race distance. Whatever the race distance is going to be, they'll do a third of that. So it's like 100 kilometers, I think. Um based on whatever the race distance is going to be. So it works out to be different amount of laps per track because they're all different distances. But yeah. Yeah. So you have like a, essentially you have like a, a, you know, a pre race race the day before on Saturday or Friday, whenever they do it, that determines the, the grid order for the main race. But that first race is just a sprint race, just a, just a qualifying thing. So you're putting the team, the team is having to put like, much more at risk for those races. It's much more entertaining for the fans, I'm sure, because it's, you know, aside from, you know, the dominance that we saw last year from like Max and Lewis, I think it's pretty competitive and pretty interesting to see that. But it's also just like, you know, it'd be like if you watch the Super Bowl today and you got to see a, you know, a quarter played yesterday as like a, you know, precursor to the game it just and, th- it, and that determined the, the coin toss or something <laughs> yeah like, it's yeah it's kind of wild to think about it in that sense but um, I, I i think uh i loved sprint qualifying last year i i didn't agree with like how they had set it up where only the top three in sprint qualifying get points because there's not really incentive but back to your point about like the race the sprint qualifying race which they didn't call it a race um itself like it showed us what the 
drivers could do if they were just pushing flat out the entire time because that was sprint, sprint qualifying, right? They didn't change tires. It was just balls to the walls until the race is over and no tire changes, no tire management or anything. Just go as hard as you can. Yep. Um, so I really liked how it, that came to be. Yeah. I I mean, I think it's super entertaining. I don't, I don't know. Like, I think to your point, right? Like the incentives aren't necessarily right. I think that, you know, if, if your hope for the, for the, you know, the, the sport is to have more competitiveness throughout the field, that doesn't make sense to do sprints because you're basically saying whoever's got the fastest car, the best driver the day before starts out at the top, which, you know, you're setting it up, setting it up for them to just be a runaway winner or, or whatnot. doesn't always happen that way, but like, generally speaking. All righty. Let's get back to our predictions. I think we all have one each. So Nick, what is your final prediction? Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know, to be honest, like you got, you guys kind of talked about, about Ferrari. And when I first, when I first was thinking about all these predictions, I was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, Alonzo or Vettel's going to retire, you know, blah, blah, blah. But that's kind of easy, right? Those guys are, those guys are just racing until, you know, some younger kid comes along and, and, you know, outdrives them in their seat. Right. But I think that, I think that Charles Leclerc is going to actually do, like, I think Charles Leclerc gets, gets a victory next year. Like uh, to Todd's point, like, I feel like Ferrari's like been, like slowly but steadily moving up the field, being more competitive. And it'll be interesting because like either of those guys on the Ferrari team could, you know, have multiple wins next season if the field is a little more evened out. But another wishful thinking kind of prediction for me, I would just like to see Charles Leclerc get a victory. He's a really interesting driver to me because of the fact that this era has kind of been characterized as Max Verstappen's playground. But if there's no Max Verstappen, I think we talk about Charles Leclerc the same way we're currently talking about Verstappen, where he's this child prodigy who seemingly lived up to the hype. I mean, he had a – was it just one season in Alfa Romeo slash Sauber? And then he went directly to Ferrari, and there's a nice bit of mythology in Drive to Survive where it almost felt like a predestined move because of the fact that his godfather was a driver for – Ferrari or was he not for Ferrari but he unfortunately lost his life on the track and Leclerc himself has kind of said this is his destiny to honor not only his memory but make sure that he maintains the heights that a lot of people have of him so I like him a lot I think he's very understated but then it was really interesting because as I kind of tried to read up more and more about the sport everybody I've kind of talked to seems to imply that he also is kind of a Proust-like racer in the sense that he doesn't mind getting dirty and doing things the less than sporting way. Is that a fair assessment of him as a driver? Or do you guys think he's just kind of making the most out of the car that he drives, much like Prost did? I wouldn't call him like... I don't think he necessarily plays in the arena of dirty tactics. I think he's a very passionate driver, which, as we saw in Monaco last year, can sometimes get the better of him. He just decided to slam into a wall at the end of qualifying, which he was on pole for, by the way. Um, but I, they do, they call him the prodigal son of Monaco for like a reason. Like he was almost destined to be 
in Ferrari. And small correction to your story, Rohit. He was actually the godfather of Antoine Hubert, who was a Formula True driver and sadly passed away at Spa um, two years ago. Yeah, he was the godfather of another racer, uh, Antoine Hubert, who passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, I think I think Leclerc, Leclerc is less. It's funny. I just had a conversation with a friend over the weekend about about this, and it, you know, Leclerc had like I think he had like two. He had two wins maybe in 2019, 20, 2019, right? The last like with Ferrari, right? I think. Um, yeah, in twenty nineteen, he had two or three. I think. Yeah, maybe two or three even. He's like, he comes across to me like as more as a more likable figure on the grid than most of the other guys and less cutthroat. But like to the conversation I just had with a friend over the weekend, all these guys are killers, right? All these guys are out there to just destroy you. You know, yeah, they're, they're friendly, but like they're also like the best of the best in the world at what they do. And you can't not have that killer instinct and that, you know, just like competitive drive and aggressiveness and all that. So I think that's the kind of interesting thing about where we're at. And we've talked a little bit about it before in other ones, but like. It's going to be interesting, you know, to see. How the friendships, you know, start to kind of evolve with a lot of these guys to Todd's point about, you know, watching the the F2 stuff, watching these guys come up all around the same time being friendly with each other you know they're not only competing on the on the track every race but in a sense they're competing for that like money from these from these teams and and the you know the sponsors and all the things that you know we got a lot of really young guys but like the more the more they drive and and someone like max is out there winning and and you know taking all of that up from them as as you know lewis moves on to team owner or whatever he does after formula one these guys have to go from like, we're really friendly to like, I'm, I'm going to kick your ass out here on the, on the, you know, track every, every time I can, because otherwise they're not going to have a seat. Right. To, to Todd's point, like we talk a lot about Valtteri, right? Valtteri is like the, the nice, polite, you know, number two driver for all these years. And yes, he's had a great seat. He's had, you know, team wins and he's been a part of Lewis's journey for, quite some time now but underneath he has to want to win right like that otherwise you don't take the chance to go to another team and if anything like to todd's point i think you're going to see a lot of these guys like figuring out what that means to them in the next year two, maybe three because some of them will realize hey you know i'm 23 i just signed a three-year deal if i don't put my car on a podium or, or, you know, in this season, I might not have that next deal, right? There might be a 18 year old kid, you know, like it's, it's going to be way more competitive now that there's more people watching the sport and there's, you know, more excitement around it. So, yeah. I'm reminded of that blowhard Kobe Bryant quote where it's like friends hang sometimes, but banners hang all the time. 
And yeah, that's going to be interesting because to your point, this generation of driver, especially the British boys of Alex Albon, George Russell, Lando Norris have grown up together and you see each of them hopping on to each other's Twitch streams and just causing banter and being boys as you would expect these under 25 kids to do. But ultimately it is a profession and you holding on to a seat means your buddy doesn't get that seat. And that's sometimes the only fuel you need to make sure you continue to stay relevant in this field that gets more and more fast in terms of up and coming talent taking over. I'll use that to segue into my last bold prediction, which is I think we will see three additional drivers on the grid this year. And I think we will see a mass exodus of five drivers at the end of the season. And I think, yeah, I know it's a bold take. That's a hot take. Listen, I had to come up spicy. <laughs> Damn. So I think we're obviously going to get the annual Nico Hulkenberg cameo. I think we'll see a couple of reserve drivers because we're not entirely out of the woods yet from a COVID perspective. But I do think we'll see at least one retirement between Vettel or Alonso. I think it'll be closer to Vettel than Alonso. And somebody is going to underachieve that is going to be on one of those teams that we have, let's say, midfield aspirations for. But we realize they're only a step ahead of the bottom three of Romero, Williams, and Haas. But yeah, that's my big call out. We'll see three additional drivers on the grid and five total losses at the end of the year. That was a Vindaloo Curry spicy hot take. Damn, five <laughs> drivers gone. Five out of 15. That's 25% of the grid. Just Thanos snapped out Listen, of the man, existence. Like Thanos, my hot takes are inevitable. So what do you guys think? Is there anybody that you could see? Yeah, this person is not long for this world, whether it's because of age or because of the fact that there is that young 20 something that's knocking on the door and that knock is getting louder and louder. I would actually say that I could only see one driver going and it would be sad to see. But the one person I could call out is Guan Yu Zhou, um, who's just joined as a rookie for uh, Alfa Romeo. And it was I think he is a talented driver, but I don't think I think obviously it was his money that got him there. As we've mentioned, that it's a pay to play sport in a lot of ways. Um, I don't think that Alfa Romeo has the patience or budget to um, waste time on him necessarily. They don't like need that 20 million or whatever it is supposedly that he brought. But uh, I don't think that they'll give him another season to to, you know, formulate or come up as a driver for F1. I think he was pretty good in F2, but not anywhere on the level of the aforementioned Quitch Quartet that we talked about in Russell and Lando and George and Albon. Um, I, I Yeah, I would say one. I mean, going, going against your hot take there, I would say I could only see one. I think Alonso's going to race until he... They tell him he literally can't anymore. And Vettel, I think he's still I think he's actually having fun now that he's out of the Ferrari, you know, whatever umbrella. So I would say, yeah, just the one. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, it's tough because. I think I would, you know, honestly, I think. We might see more teams in 2023 based on the fact that there's not enough turnover, if that makes sense, right? Like, um, Oh, okay. So in that case, that's inspired me to have a Nick Engvall Costco S take Red Bull. will have a third team on the grid. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, that, I think that's totally feasible. It's crazy to to hear right now, but like all of the drivers that are out there are are not all the drivers. Let's say a bulk of the drivers that are that are midfield right now put in a Red Bull or Mercedes 2022 aside, you're just going off 2021, right? Put most of those drivers from like, you know, let's say Sergio Perez all the way down to maybe even Antonio Giovinazzi, right? Like all those drivers could step into a, a Mercedes or a Red Bull last year and do really, really well. They're not going to win a bunch of races, but they could definitely be as competitive as most of the other guys on the grid. The problem is the guys that, that should get booted for another driver are all there because of money, right? You know, to, to the, you know, the Lance Stroll conversation or, I mean, Lance Stroll is not one of those people. He's actually, I think worthy of the seat at this point, but like, uh, Mazepin, Latifi, like there's just, you know, like the partnership, it includes the seat in a lot of those sponsorships. And those just aren't going to change unless, you know, daddy Warbucks says no more playing formula one kid. And unfortunately I don't see that happening. I think those teams, you know, this is a, this is a really like, I guess, depressing take as an American fan, but like Haas has no business really being in formula one at this point, the way that that team is structured in my opinion. Right. Like, you know, I get that like there's all these Russia things and Russia can't, you know, is banned from competing and all of this stuff. But like, you know, if you're Haas, then what, you know, other than, other than like you already made the commitment, like, can you even back out of that relationship? Like, you know, there's all sorts of like weird things of like those drivers sh shouldn't be there, but like, you know, obviously Mick Schumacher is going to be in the sport regardless, right? Like, his his shortcomings right now are, are you know 90% car related and 10% his his learning curve right we we know that he's got the talent to to be further up the grid in a better car the same thing i think could be said for a lot of the young guys you know that are that are kind of just battling for this like i don't know like 6 to 10 spot right like you're not going to get much higher than that but you might have a good day and end up there right now so my hope you know, and maybe not this season, but like my hope is that like in the in the coming seasons, we figure out a way to get a couple more teams on the grid. That would be absolutely chaos. And Red Bull having a third team is just such a wild proclamation. But my my head goes to when does the Russian doping ban thing end? Because as soon as that's over, I think. Daddy Mazepin buys the Haas team and makes it full on Mother Russia, where it you don't race the car, it races you, and that's when we have a Russian team on the grid. I, know, I thought if it if it dies, it dies would be your go to Russian pop culture phrase, but I will use that as a segue. Todd, what is your last hot take? Because we've got one left, and I know you've got something in the chamber, so to speak, that's literally going to blow our brains off of the screen. So go for it. I feel like you guys went way far past my bold <laughs> predictions, but this is still kind of a wild one. George Russell is going to battle Lewis for the championship this year. I don't think he's going to win it, but I think he 
took that Williams car to places it shouldn't be. And I know it was like a lucky pit stop during qualifying in Spa last year, but him to have the timing and the wherewithal to go do that and then put a mega lap in in like kind of mixed conditions and put himself at second where he got his first podium. I know that wasn't really a race. They just went around the track a couple times really slow in the rain. But he has proven that he really, really has what it takes, especially in, was it Bahrain or Abu Dhabi last year when he had to fill in for Lewis, when Lewis got COVID. And he should have run won that race, not once, but twice. And that puncture basically took him out of the, the race. And it was just, yep. talk about heartbreak, watching heartbreak live on television. Um, I think he, he has it. I don't know how the team dynamics going to be, but if George has his way and is supported within that team, if they're not like really truly focusing on get, trying to give Lewis his eighth so he can just call it quits, I think George in that time will be – it's going to be a true 1A, 1B situation in that team, and I could definitely see George being in the title fight at least until the summer break. So two follow-up questions. One, over under two and a half – for his position in the final driver's point standings, and he, in this case, being George Russell. And the other point I'll make is it's really interesting because as you were chatting, I can't help but think of Kevin Durant when it comes to this year's version of Mercedes because they have the possibility of being a two-sided coin. The first side is this is Durant joining the Warriors and unlocking this new level of basketball and that hushed term of dynasty that we're going to see, or this is going to be like the Brooklyn Nets with KD, Kyrie, and James Harden where this might implode in our face and we may see this as maybe a one- or two-year experiment tops. I think so. The thing that was going on in my head when I came up with this prediction is when A. Raj, Aaron Rodgers joined the um, Green Bay Packers and Brett Favre was still the quarterback and he had like a year or two to study kind of under the greatness that or the whatever you want to call Brett Favre. He had some great moments, whatever. Yeah. But um, I think, like I said, as long as he gets the support from the team and it's given a fair shake by the team. I think he's fighting Lewis as as fast or, you know, as late as, you know, maybe a six races left in the season. But I would say at least until the summer break where maybe his inexperience in a big team starts to get the better of him. But he's going to come out firing all cylinders. I think he'll have a race win before the summer break. And um, to Rohit's question, I wouldn't give it a two and a half over. If you're going to give me two and a half. I would say I'll take the over two and a half. So like he might get end up at being P3 in the championship. Um, but I think he's going to be there battling and mathematically still possible for a pretty long time in the season. Hot takes, hot, hot takes. All right. I think that might be the last of our hot takes. So before we break for the day, let me just go ahead and read these back. And gentlemen, correct me if I'm wrong. So up first, we had Lando Norris will have six podiums this year, including two wins by one Nick Engvall. I was bold enough to say we'll have eight winners. Uh, Then Todd said Ferrari will win the Constructors' Championship. Then we went back to Nick with Yuki and Mick Schumacher will both score points this year. I went the opposite because I'm a negative Nancy. And I said three teams will score no points and then Todd, for his penultimate take, was saying Botas will get at least two top three quality positions. And then Nick had the call out that Charles Leclerc will get one win this year. 
I said three additional drivers are going to be on the grid this year because of injury and COVID-related concerns, and we'll also see mass exodus of five drivers. And then that evolved into probably the hottest take, which is that Red Bull will have a third team by the end of this. So I love how you guys talked me into that. I succumbed to peer pressure yet again in my life. And then last but certainly not least was Todd saying that George Russell will cause problems in battle Lewis Hamilton up until the last race of the season. Is that fair or did I butcher any of your predictions, gentlemen, before we break? Yeah, yeah, that was that was spot on, and I liked how your second prediction turned into three simultaneously. <laughs> so I can't wait to revisit yes. that one in a year from now. Yeah, yep. <laughs> All righty, I think that's it. All right, I think I think that's a that's a great great place to wrap. Uh, let us know. We've got social handles: Exhaust Notes FM on Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, you can get all of the old episodes at exhaustnotes.fm. But more importantly, make sure you connect with Roa and Todd. Guys, let them know how they can connect with you. Here comes the rhyme. Uh, I'm T Yeezy on Instagram. I'm Ro Yeezy on Twitter and RoaDum13 on Instagram. <laughs> you can follow me at Nick Ingvall on all the platforms. Thank you for listening. Leave us a review if you haven't yet. Uh, let us know how we're doing. Give us some feedback anywhere that you can do so shoot us a message give us your your yeah give us your pre-testing predictions make them even spicier and hotter that's what i ask you and also write us a review how about this you write a review put a take in there we'll read it next episode that's what we do for the community there we go there we go thanks everybody for listening we'll catch you in the next one peace